Well, please open your Bible over to 2 Timothy as we continue our series, Standing Strong in the Last Days. I do believe we are in the last days. I think Jesus literally could come back at any moment to take the church out of the world. Things are lining up in an amazing way in this world, and uh, I think we are on the edge, getting close to when the uh, seven-year tribulation period begins, and of course, the church is going to be taken out of the world before that happens. But if we are seeing signs and trends for the tribulation, we know that the rapture is even that much closer. And so we're looking forward to seeing Jesus face to face. Seeing the term face to face is one that we... um, are thinking about right now. Today we're going to be talking about the issue face-to-face with fear. 2 Timothy is a very interesting letter. If you were here for the introduction last week, you know that uh, the, the nature of 2 Timothy, the context of 2 Timothy, the Apostle Paul has faithfully served the Lord as a champion for Christ for a very long time. And um, He's at the end of his life. He finds himself in a very, very dismal, dark, wet, clammy, cold, miserable Roman prison. He's there pretty much by himself. It is not totally clear how many visitors he could have at this point. But he is basically awaiting his death because it was after 2 Timothy was written that shortly after that, he was martyred for Christ. He lost his head, literally because of his faith in Christ. His head was cut off. The Romans thought that they could shut him up by cutting off his head. And in reality, he's still speaking today through the word of God and the gifts that God has given us through uh, inspiration of the spirit and how God used the apostle Paul. But you know, that doesn't change the fact that in the days in which we live, as we are becoming more polarized, as we are entering into dark days in our country, as we're on the cusp of, we've already entered into, in a sense, a civil war in America, but it hasn't gotten so much to arms and so forth at this point, although it's moving in that direction. But these are darker days, and not only in America, but in the world. And they're gonna be more challenging days for those of us who are saved. If we are going to live our lives for Jesus Christ, we are going to face new challenges that we've never faced in our life. The reason being is because as the world gets darker, those who are standing for Christ are going to shine brighter and we are going to be noticed more. And folks, it's not just a matter anymore of, oh, you're a Christian, I'm not, that's fine. No, we have moved to another place in this world to where Christians now in a greater, greater way, and yes, it's been this way overseas for many years, but in America, Christians are going to be targeted more and more because the truth of it is we have a world that is in rebellion towards God, and when we remind them of the truth of God, it doesn't set well with some. There are still those who are looking for the truth. And we're running into them, by the way, all the time. The very fact that uh, that we have as many new people visiting our church on a regular basis, you know what these are, folks? These are truth seekers. These are people who are wanting answers for the days in which we live. I pledge to you today, we will continue to give you the answers to the questions you have. We are not going to back down. 
We are going to stand for the truth of God's word. We are going to speak the truth in love in this church, and we're not going to change that. It's going to be a constant, regardless of what goes on around us. Now, this is nothing new in light of Christianity. And in 2 Timothy chapter 1, we'll read some scriptures here, bringing us up to where we left off last week. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, according to the promise of life, which is in Christ Jesus, our foundation is our eternal security in Christ. We saw that last week. This gives us boldness, courage, hope to tell people the good news of Jesus Christ because we have good news to tell them. You can know for sure you're going to heaven. You can know that before you die. It's because of what Jesus did on the cross on your behalf and paying for your sins. He died, was buried, rose from the grave. And if you simply put your faith in him, believe in him that he did that for you personally, he will give you as a free gift everlasting life. He'll never lose you, he'll never cast you out. This was Paul's foundation. To Timothy, my dearly beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve from my forefathers with a pure conscience that without ceasing I have remembrance of thee in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see thee, being mindful of thy tears. You read that right. That I may be filled with joy When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that in thee also. Wherefore, I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God, which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. We're going to cover several aspects today dealing with fear, face-to-face with fear. The first is this, the struggles of Timothy, and I bet they're the same ones that you and I have. The struggles of Timothy. He was getting discouraged, understand the context, he was getting discouraged as a pastor in ministry. Timothy was a young pastor. We don't know his age. I'm going to guess he was probably in his late 20s, early 30s. We don't know that for sure. But he was a young pastor who was pastoring and preaching, and he would go on missionary trips with Paul. As a matter of fact, Timothy was, went all over Asia with the Apostle Paul on missionary trips. And he was in different places at different times, and he was faithful in the ministry. But he was getting discouraged as a pastor. You would not believe the number of pastors who are leaving the ministry every, every year, okay? There are thousands upon thousands who are leaving. I'm talking about people who believe the Bible's the word of God, but there is so much pressure involved. Now, why does Paul mention the tears of Timothy? Well, I believe it was because Timothy was in some ways deeply troubled and struggling in the ministry. I'm going to mention this, and I know you know this, but let me verbalize it. Pastors are human, okay? Why do I say that? Because they can give answers and instructions to others, and that's great, but that does not mean that their lives are free from the same challenges and the same struggles that everybody else goes through. I'm letting you know that's true, but there's an extra heaping of things that come on. Why? Because when pastors do their ministry, folks, you're touching nerves in people's lives. And sometimes the response is not a good one. 
Most people don't have to deal with that, but if a pastor is going to be true to preaching and teaching and confronting with the word of God, there's going to be an extra element of conflict in his life. Now, what goes on top of that is there's different ways that people deal with that and different, different struggles and different persecutions that come that way. There's tremendous pressure. You see, Satan wants to stop a pastor. If he can stop the leadership, he can often stop the ministry. He uses, uh, Satan uses discouragement. Satan uses betrayal by supporters. He uses persecution. He uses temptation. And anything else he can use to stop us. It is his goal, Satan, one of Satan's goal is to stop the pastor, to ruin the pastor, to wreck his life. A very, very prominent, and I don't know what he believes theologically, a very, very prominent progressive, or I'll I'll use the term modern, pastor with a lot of notoriety here in the country. Another one fell just recently. I don't know if it was this week or in the last couple weeks. Major, major guy. I'm not even, I couldn't even, I'm not going to say his name and I don't even remember exactly what it is, but I know this. He was pastor to music stars, famous people, and now he's fallen. Immorality, like so many. Satan will do anything he can. Now, I don't know what he preached. I don't know if he preached the truth or not because I don't follow him. But getting back to Timothy, remember, Satan, there's a target on the back of pastors and he wants to bring them down. On top of that, Timothy was possibly shaken up in that Paul was in prison and probably going to die. Now understand, Paul was the one who led Timothy to Christ. Yes, Timothy had a godly heritage in his mother and his grandmother. We don't know much about his father. But Paul was the one, he, uh, there was input into Timothy's life, but it was Paul who got him to see and was able to get him to connect the dots. And Paul led him to the Lord and Paul discipled him. And there was a very intimate and wonderful fellowship between them. Well, here's Timothy. He's struggling. He's struggling in ministry. Not only that, persecution was ramping up and he was facing that. He wasn't an old man who had run his race who was going to die anyway. He was a young pastor. And he knew what was in front of him and what he needed to do if he was going to be faithful to God. I think all the pressures were getting to him. And the loss of his spiritual father, so to speak, on a human level, it's awful. But you notice what Paul says about him in verse 5. When I call to remembrance... Well, Paul says, I thank God, verse 3, whom I serve from my forefathers with a pure conscience, that without ceasing I have remembrance of thee in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see thee, being mindful of thy tears, that I may be filled with joy. Oh, come on, Timothy, man up. Listen, if, if you never cry, go into the ministry. When I call to remembrance, now watch this, when I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee. The unfeigned faith. Some Bibles say genuine. I think that's a really poor translation. The word means unhypocritical. As a matter of fact, if you look at the Greek word, it looks like the word hypocrisy is in the word. Unhypocritical faith that is in thee. What does that mean, unhypocritical faith? 
He wasn't a phony who was going through the motions, and he certainly wasn't in it for money, okay? It wasn't a job to Timothy, it was a life for Timothy. This is something he has invested himself in. His faith was unhypocritical. Timothy knew what it was like to serve the Lord. Let me say this today, discipleship isn't for cowards. Because if you decide as a believer to follow the Lord, you are going to pay a price for that. The Bible's very clear. Even in chapter three, it says, all that will live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. But let's move on this issue of Timothy struggling, okay? What was Paul trying to do? Paul is writing to him, and Paul is trying to encourage Timothy by reminding him of his godly heritage. Do you see it in verse 5? In other words, both his grandmother and mother were faithful believers over the long haul of life. And Tim, guess what? Hey, Timothy, remember your mom. Remember your grandma. They were faithful, or they're still faithful. And guess what, Timothy? You can stay faithful too. Maybe folks, let me say this. Maybe it's where you work. Maybe you're getting pressure where you work. You know, we went from being a nation that was pro-Christian. Corporations were run by Christian principles. Companies were run by Christian principles. Then it went to, okay, well, relativism. If it's right to you, that's fine. It doesn't have to be right to me. And then it it would reciprocate. And you know what? If that's right to you, that's fine. It doesn't have to be right to me. But now it's shifted. It isn't, okay, that's fine for you and this is fine for me. Folks, it's shifted now. It has gone from being a Christian mentality in America. Now we are anti-Christian. We're going towards an anti-Christian mentality. And now it's like, no, wait a minute. Wait a minute. You're telling me that my alternative lifestyle is wrong. You Christians, you know what we need to do? We need to get rid of you. We need to silence you. And you may work for a company and they say, wait a minute, you hold these views? There'll be no promotions for you. You're not going anywhere. Now, they may not say that verbally, but they're doing it. And they're doing it a lot today. Persecution is real. And see there, folks, there can be the temptation that says, you know what? I'll just keep my mouth shut. I won't let people know I'm a Christian. Therefore, I won't have to deal with this issue of persecution. Yeah, but who are you pleasing? And let me ask you this. Can you really live with yourself? Can you really live with yourself? When Jesus died and paid for your sin, and saved you from hell for all eternity, and gave it to you as a gift, how much he loves you and me, can you really live with yourself in just turning your back on him? I'm not saying you lose your salvation. You can't lose your salvation once you have it, no matter what. Discipleship isn't for cowards. No, Paul is reminding Timothy about his heritage And you know what? Just like his grandmother and his mother ran the race successfully, he could run the race as well. But I want you to notice something in verse 6, because this is where Timothy, regardless of the reason, this is where he found himself discouraged and fearful as a pastor. It's one thing to be fearful just simply as a Christian, but wait a minute, pastors aren't supposed to be fearful. 
That's where he found himself, though. And what does Paul say? Wherefore, I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God, which is in thee by the putting on of my hands, okay? I want you to notice this, that getting stirred up was not God's responsibility. It was Timothy's responsibility. Now, these can be hard words to somebody who is going through times of discouragement. But the truth of it is this. Listen, you can only spend so much time wallowing in the problem that you're in. And I'm not making light of it because these things are real. And folks, I've been there. And I'll probably be there again at times in the future in my life. But here's the point. You can't stop there. You have to deal with it. We can't stop with the roadblock. We can't stop with the discouragement. We have to find solutions to it to go beyond it and continue living for Christ. Timothy had a responsibility to get himself stirred up. The word stir up means, that's one word in the Greek, means rekindle, rekindle. Timothy had a personal responsibility to stay strong in the Lord, and it is ours as well. Here's the truth of it, folks. We are either going forward in our Christian lives or going backward in our Christian lives. There is no such thing as standing still. No such thing. The Lord for sure would supply the strength and the grace to do it, but Timothy was responsible to trust and obey the word of God, even if it was going to be hard, even if it was going to cost him He's still at a responsibility. What is this stir up the gift of God? Here's what I believe. We, We can't be dogmatic on this. I believe that when Timothy went into the ministry, I believe men as oftentimes does, there were men, godly men, elders, who put their hands on him, okay, and laid hands on him. And God doesn't always do this, but in Timothy's case, I believe God gave him a spiritual gift at that point. And maybe it was the gift of pastor-teacher. That could very well be. But what had happened over time is that the discouragement, the trials, the difficulties of ministry started getting to Timothy, and he's cooling off spiritually. And he's discouraged as a believer. God's word, Paul says to Timothy, and this is the inspired word of God, you need to stir up, you need to rekindle that gift in you. You need to get back and you need to get restored so you can go on as a believer. By the way, am I speaking to you today on this? Maybe that's where you find yourself as a Christian. Oh, it may not be a specific gift that you have to rekindle. Maybe it's just your whole Christian life. You've got to get going again. You got to get back on track. So our first main point We've seen the struggles of Timothy. But second, and this is key, we start shifting. God has not given us the spirit of fear. Now, this is a huge concept to get. Timothy had become fearful. The word fear here is not the same word where we talk about, you know, fear the Lord or fear evil and all that. No, that's not this word. It's a different word. This word means timidity or cowardice. Timidity, timid, weak, coward. I'm afraid to do what I should do because of the eyes that are watching me or the circumstances that I find myself in. This is not a slam on Timothy, for this is a common struggle for all believers who want to serve 
the Lord. And everybody who's ever attempted to share the gospel or faithfully share the gospel, you know what I'm talking about. What are people going to think of me? Is this going to cost me? Or, you know, I shared the gospel and now that person doesn't want to have anything to do with me now. And there's that intimidation and Satan comes in and he uses it like a club. Every time you're going to share the gospel or you even think about it, the thoughts come in and bam, no, you won't. Bam, shut your mouth. Bam, keep your mouth closed. Don't stand up for that. Okay, I won't. Yeah, I'm really scared. What are people going to think of me? That's what this fear is talking about. And you notice it doesn't come from who? Doesn't come from God. Now, this is important to realize. When we face it, When we sense it, I'm afraid to do that. Okay, stop. Where is that fear coming from? It's not God. Two sources. It's either the devil or our sin nature. It's one or the other. God has not given us the spirit of fear. You see, fear paralyzes. When we are spiritually paralyzed, we cannot accomplish God's will for us. We can be sure that this kind of fear is never from the Lord. Timidity or cowardice never comes from God. He gives us courage and boldness. Again, it's either from the devil or from our flesh, our sin nature, which leads us to why would that take place in our lives? Well, number three, Satan wants to shut our mouths and ruin our testimonies. Now, folks, understand this is a major issue of the Christian life. This is a major factor in the Christian life. Satan wants to shut our mouths and ruin our testimonies. These represent our talk and our walk. Our talk, what we say, and our walk, how we live, represent our very lives. Our very lives. So it's what we're made out of, isn't it? Our actions and our words, isn't that basically... What comes out of us living and breathing as people? He wants to shut our mouths and ruin our testimonies. Hold your place and look with me to 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5. See, I think sometimes we give the devil too much credit. When I was growing up, there was a comedian. He would use the term the devil. He He would joke, well, the devil made me do it. Well, the devil doesn't make us do anything. He tempts us. He intimidates us. He shoots fiery darts at us. Okay, he lures us, but we're the ones who have to bite. We're the ones who have to accept it or take that in. See, he wants to get us sidetracked. He wants to wreck us. He never will be a blessing to us. First Peter chapter five and verse eight, it says this, be sober, be vigilant, Because your adversary, notice he's our adversary, your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. Now understand this. We get an idea because we we focus only on a half-truth. We say, well, wait a minute, I'm saved, therefore the devil can't possess me. Well, that's true, the devil can't possess you. The devil can't possess me. He can't live within my body because that's where the Holy Spirit lives, as we're going to see in a moment. But folks, it doesn't mean that he can't attack me. Ruthlessly, relentlessly, he can do that. He can attack. 
And he does it with wrong thoughts and he does it with people that he will send into our lives to try to defeat us. Circumstances to try to defeat us. You notice he's seeking whom he may what? Devour. Listen, Satan is not after the lost man. He's after the Christian. He has the lost man where he wants him. He's lost. He's under condemnation. If he dies without trusting Christ, he will suffer forever in hell. And as long as Satan can keep the gospel away from a lost person, he's got him where he wants him. Who's responsible to get the gospel to the lost? It's the Christian. So Satan then, his job is to keep the mouth of the Christian shut and to wreck the life of a Christian to where he won't open his mouth. Do you see it? There are two fronts I want to mention. Satan wants to shut our mouths and ruin our testimonies. A, number one, he wants to pervert our message. He wants to pervert, twist, distort our message of the gospel. We see it in Galatians 1, 6 through 9. Paul said there's only one gospel, and if anybody preaches any other gospel, let him be accursed by God. And then he says it twice. And how does Satan pervert our message? Now listen, by adding works to grace, by adding works to grace, grace, unmerited favor, undeserved mercy. Okay. You can't earn your way to heaven. The Bible says, for by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works lest any man should boast. Not of yourselves, not of works. That's what the Bible says, okay? But Satan wants to add works, man's works. Anything that says Jesus isn't sufficient, okay? Any message that says what Jesus did on the cross was not completely sufficient to give you eternal life is a false gospel. Let me get even bolder with this, folks. It is from the pit of hell itself, because it is adding man's works. Listen, it could be a lot of things. Now, there are a lot of preachers out there today who the vast majority of what they're saying is right. But you hear it when they get to their gospel presentation. They mess it up. They're saying all this good Bible truth. Oh, that's good. That's insightful. That's helpful and all this. And then they get now. How can you become a believer? How, or how can you be saved? Well, you need to repent of all your sin. You need to surrender your life. You need to become a follower of Jesus. You need to ask Jesus into your heart. You need to give him your life. You need to get water baptized. You need to give money. You need to keep the Ten Commandments. You need to do the, oh, by the way, they're all good. Satan is never going to say to somebody, oh, you want to go to heaven? Go out and rape, murder, and steal. No, he's going to say, oh, do good things. Do good things. Why? Because man thinks he's saved by good works. That is the, the natural man's tendency to think he can earn his way to heaven. And friend, if you think you can earn your way to heaven by some work, some merit of your own, that is a false message. It will not save. The only thing that saves, it, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, thou shalt be saved. Jesus paid for all the sins of all the world when he died on the cross and he offers eternal life as a free gift to all who believe. People will hear that and they say, I can't, you, you really believe that? I can't believe that. And they got all kinds of critical names for it. 
No, friend, that is what the Bible teaches. Philippian jailer. What did he say? Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Paul didn't say, well, let me share with you this four spiritual flaws. I mean, laws. No, he said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, thou shalt be saved. That's it. That's it. Satan wants to pervert our message. When you add works to grace, you are shutting the door of heaven to the lost. You're shutting the door. So many today who in the eyes of many are really leading many astray, okay? Again, so many are are teaching many good things, but when it comes to the gospel, they mess it up. I'll see different videos at times. I'll watch different videos, different teachers, and they'll say, boy, boy, this is really good. This is really good. And then they get to the end. You know what? Maybe you want to become a Christian. And then they start listing all these things you need to do. It's like, it just ruined their message. Ruined it. See, that's how the devil works, though. He gives you a lot of good, and then he throws in the poison at the end. Turn with me to Romans chapter 4. Don't believe me on this. Believe what the Bible says. Romans chapter 4. It's a spiritual war, folks, and time is running out. Romans chapter 4 and verse 1, it says, What shall we say then that Abraham our father as pertaining to the flesh hath found? For if Abraham were justified by works, so many people today say, Oh no, you have to have works too. Faith is not enough, you also have to have works. Faith without works is dead. Yeah, you don't even know what the context is talking about there if that's how you take that passage. That passage is not written about how to be saved, go to heaven. It's written about how we should live lives once we're saved. It's not saying faith and works will get you to heaven. Look at what Romans says here. For if Abraham were justified by works, he has where of the glory, but not before God. God will not justify a man, will not save a man if he's trusting in his works. For what saith the scripture? By the way, always a good idea. For what saith the scripture? Abraham, what did he do? He believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Now to him that worketh is a reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. You're going to work your way to heaven? You have a debt to pay. You're going to have to pay for all your sins. If you're going to work your way to heaven, you're going to have to pay for all your sins. Well, I don't like that idea. Well, then accept God's solution instead. Verse five, but to him that worketh not, look at this, but to him that worketh not, verse five, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. His faith is counted. Here's a person who doesn't do anything, but they put their faith in Jesus Christ, the savior. His faith is counted for righteousness. This is how you're saved, friend. Any other message than faith alone in Christ alone is a false gospel, and it will not save. You might say, well, I know people who have preached something different, and I know they're saved. Well, number one, you don't know they're saved. You can't really know that. But secondly, it is possible that a person gets saved somewhere along the line and then gets off into false doctrine. That's possible. But that doesn't change the fact of what the Bible says. Look up here. Let me illustrate. This hand representing you and me. This wallet representing our sin. Now watch this. God loves us. He hates our sin. To go to heaven, we have to be sinless. But none of us are. We're all sinners. And God says that sin has to be paid for. We have sinned. It must be paid for. It must be dealt with. And if we do it, the wages of sin is death. That means we would have to physically die 
and spiritually die, meaning not be annihilated, but be separated from God for all eternity. This is what the Bible says. Most people think good works have something to do with getting rid of the sin. Not one verse in the entire Bible from Genesis through Revelation teaches that. Death is the only payment for sin. If you do it, you'll be lost forever in hell. But God has provided another way because there's nothing we could do to work our sin off. God sent his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, the sinless son of God. And when he went to the cross, he took all the sin you've done or all you will do upon himself. And he paid for all of your sin, all of it, past, present, and future. He was buried, he rose from the grave, and he says, if you believe, if you put your faith in him that he made that payment for you, the moment you do, the payment is good on your behalf. His faith is counted for righteousness. God forgives you, he gives you his righteousness, and guess what? If you have his righteousness, yeah, you can go into heaven. You can enter. It's simply a matter of believing. But to him that worketh not. Here's a person, they say, I cannot earn my way to heaven. I'm not even going to try to earn my way by good works. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to believe that Jesus paid my way. I'm going to believe Jesus paid for my sins. His faith is counted for righteousness. God gives everlasting life. That's good news. That's the gospel. And any other message is a false message. And I don't care who says it or preaches it, friend or foe, or an angel from heaven, according to Paul. If it's false, it's false. But let's get back to the devil just for a minute. <laughs> our third point was Satan wants to shut our mouths and ruin our testimony. So first, he wants to pervert our message. Because even if you're sincere, if you are preaching a false message that doesn't save, it's of no value. And what's really bad is if you're giving people a false hope, that's terrible. It's terrible. It's better that people don't have any hope because you don't have to undo it then. You just give them the truth and they believe. But secondly, he wants us as believers to live carnal lives to where we will be discouraged and ashamed. We won't open our mouths because our lives are such an embarrassment. And we know that we're living hypocritical lives. Timothy's life was not hypocritical. It was unfeigned, unhypocritical. But Satan wants us to live carnal lives to where we'll be discouraged and ashamed. We won't want to open our mouths about Christ. And if we don't open our mouths about Christ, then people will remain lost. Romans says, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. So let's move on. We've looked at the negative with this. Let's look at number four. God's provision for us defeats fear and brings victory. Instead of fear, God provides what we need to go on and serve him. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but what has he given us? Three things. He's given us a spirit of power. Power. This was promised to the apostles before the day of Pentecost came. Jesus said the Holy Spirit's going to come, okay? Acts 1.8, you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me. Listen, we receive power to be witnesses. Do we get it? God has not given us a spirit of timidity. He's given us a spirit of power, when we trust in Jesus Christ, the Savior, the Holy Spirit comes to live within our bodies for the rest of our lives, according to Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. 
We're empowered by the Holy Spirit. The same power that raised up Jesus from the dead empowers us today to serve the Lord. Now think about that. The power of God that raised Jesus from the dead, okay, that same power, God has that same power. And when we trust Christ the Savior, the Holy Spirit comes to live within us and God himself is in us and we have the same power now to live the Christian life. God has not given us a spirit of fear. He's given us the spirit of power. I can be courageous. God's in control of my life. We receive power by the spirit. We also receive power through the word of God. He's also given us a spirit of love. Now, I don't mean, listen carefully today on this. I don't mean to make light of fear because we all face it, we all deal with it. But honestly, subtly, if you look at fear, now please don't turn off to this, but if you look at fear, it's self-centered, is it not? Think about it. Fear is self-centered. Why do I say that? Well, because... When we get our eyes off ourselves and are captured by the need in front of us, fear is defeated. When we get beyond ourselves and what people are going to think, see, that's selfish. What are they going to think? What's going to happen? That's all about me. That's all about me. It's not seeing the plight of the lost person in front of me who doesn't know Christ. If they die, they'll burn forever in hell. I need to get over myself. Do you see what I'm saying? We all need to do this. We need to get past ourselves on this. The spirit of love. This is love in action to share the gospel. And when we do share the gospel, fear is defeated. This is what Timothy needed. He needed to get back. Tim, look, you've been beaten down and you've gotten to the point to where you've cooled off spiritually and you're fearful and you're timid. You need to get reminded of what God has given for you and provided for you. Don't we see it in John three sixteen? Love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Think of Jesus in the garden. He was trembling. His humanity did not want to go to the cross. Who would want to go to the cross? What a situation he was in. Think about it. As a man, he didn't want to go through the sufferings, but as God, he knew exactly what that meant. It wasn't like, oh, it's going to be bad, and then you get in the middle of it. I didn't know how bad it was going to be. Jesus knew how bad it was going to be before he ever went to the cross, because he's God. And yet, what did he say as he trembled, and he was sweating drops of blood? He said several times, nevertheless, not my will but thine be done. Why? Because he loves us. That's why. His love jumped over the hurdle of fear. Think of a mother who runs into a burning home to save her children. You could die. No reason to even talk to her. She's being driven by love. I'm going to save my children. See, folks, the time is short for us to share the gospel with the world around us. This is very important. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power by the Holy Spirit and the word of God. Love from the Lord. And last one, a sound mind. The word sound mind, it means a disciplined or a self-controlled mind. In other words, we're in our right mind. We're seeing things the way we're supposed to. It stays focused properly. This takes deliberate work 
okay? God's word will renew our minds and make them sound and healthy. God's word will get us to where we see the way we're supposed to see. And our values will be the way they're supposed to be. Jesus said we don't have to fear. John 14, 27, he said, peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let it be afraid. If I have no peace, then my eyes are not on Christ. Now listen, folks, this is the same for all of us. I'm not preaching down at you. This is the way it is. And this is what we need. We need the peace of God. We need a sound mind. We need the power, love, and a sound mind. But God has given that to us. It's a matter of us stirring it up and getting focused the way we should. And this is what we need because our fears are often irrational. Think about it. Our fears many times don't make any sense. And that leads us to our last point, and it is this. We need to adjust our thinking and move forward by faith. Just believe God. Just believe God. Oh, but, but no, no, no. Just throw it away. Just quit thinking. What are they going to think? Okay. What if I leave a track? What if I share the gospel with this person? What's it going to cost me at where I work or in my neighborhood or with my family? That's all wrong thinking. God will take care of us. He will be strong on our behalf. Our last verse here in 2 Timothy 1.8, Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, which is the gospel, nor of me his prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of of God. More about that next week as we continue on, but let me close with one verse that we usually don't look at, but I want you to see it. Go with me to Acts chapter 4. Here's Peter preaching. Early church age. Things are continue to heat up. Jesus has come, he's lived, he's died, he's risen from the dead, he's ascended to heaven, and they've been commissioned to go into all the world, preach the gospel, and start in Jerusalem, and that's exactly what they're doing. And I just love this. You know, a lot of people like to talk about Peter and how he put his foot in his mouth and all that. And you know, in times he did, just like we do, we all do it, don't we? But I'll tell you what, folks, when his foot wasn't in his mouth, what he was saying was so powerful. Look at the boldness and the clarity of this verse. Acts 4.12. Neither is there salvation in any other exclusive. By the way, this is what rankers, this is what gets people upset. You Christians believe Jesus is the only way. Yes, because that's what Jesus said. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven. And that includes yours. There is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. It's only through the name of Jesus that you can have eternal life. I urge you today to put your faith in Jesus Christ the Savior. I ask today, folks, that those of us who are already believers, that we would meditate on this stuff, that we would think this through, and it'll bring us to, hopefully bring us to a new level of boldness and courage to speak the truth in love to the world around us while we still have time. Well, friends, that concludes this edition of Voice of Assurance. Thanks so much for listening. And would you share this ministry with a friend? To contact us or learn more about our ministry, please visit www.northlandchurch.com. 
Your prayers and support for this ministry are greatly appreciated. Thank you so much, and God bless you.